I'm more determined now, I'm as determined as I've ever been in my entire life to advance the kingdom of God, to win as many souls as we possibly can before Jesus returns. I personally believe he's near even at the door. How about you? Do you believe that? I believe he's near. I'll put it this way. He's closer than he was yesterday. Amen. And so I want to talk to you today about maintaining the fight, but I'm going to call this today. The fight is fixed. The fight is fixed, but I want to read to you, um, out of the old Testament. This is a story. It's creepy, but I'm going to read it to you. Because there's a great message for us in 1 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 7. And it's about an attack against one of the uh, tribes of Israel, Jabesh Gilead. And what they faced was truly terrible. But God delivered them. And I'm going to take an Old Testament story. I'm going to bring it over and give it a New Testament application. So let's look. Starting in verse 1. It says, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash the Ammonite, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. Look at verse 2. Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I'll make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes. Everybody say, Gross. Terrible. How would you like to hear that? Spoken over you. That I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. Verse 3, then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days. Give us seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there's nobody to save us, we'll come out to you and we will submit to this horrible request. Verse 4. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. Now this is before Saul went crazy. This is when Saul was walking in faith. This is when Saul's heart was right. And Saul really was the anointed of the Lord. So this is before he went off into left field. So watch what happens. And Saul said, what is troubling the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Verse 6, then look what happened. The Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and with Samuel the prophet to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. In other words, you will lose your livelihood. It's going to touch you. If you don't get involved in the battle, it's going to touch your house, your home, your provision, your future. If you don't get involved in the battle with us. In other words, this is not a time for neutrality. This is a time for all of Israel to get involved in the battle because all of Israel has been threatened by a foreign, evil, wicked king. And we've got to do something about it. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on the word of God today. 
Thank you for opening our eyes and helping us to see the truth here and walking in it. And thank you for reviving us, restoring us, and giving us fresh fire today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Turn to somebody and say, fresh fire is coming to your soul. Amen. Now, let me give you a little bit of background so it will make this story more meaningful to you. Uh, Nahash was king of the Ammonites who were enemies of Israel. The Ammonites were not the friends of Israel. They were, they were committed enemies. And so here comes the leader of the Ammonites. Now, Nahash, the name itself in the Hebrew language means snake or serpent. So immediately he is satanic-like. He's devil-like. And what he is requiring of Jabesh Gilead to put out the right eyes of the people, definitely demonic, definitely a satanic thing. Even the name Nahash sounds like a hiss of a snake. Nahash. Okay. So in our text, Nahash the snake is seeking to humiliate and bring into servitude the tribe of Jabesh Gilead. He didn't just want to bring them into slavery. He wanted to humiliate them. So he makes this terrible request. If you're going to submit to me, then you're going to have to let me put out the right eye of all of your soldiers, all of your men, all of your men of war are going to lose their right eye. And Jabesh Gilead has gotten into this fix, into this problem, into this dilemma, not by accident. But Jabesh Gilead has been walking in compromise in their devotion to God. They have forsaken the God of their fathers. They have walked away. They have not stood for righteousness. And their devotion to God has waned. And they have begun to, to look to other idols instead of the God of Israel, Jehovah God, the real God and only God. And so we would say today they're backslidden. Jabesh Gilead is backslidden. And by the time that Nahash has approached them, they have become so spiritually feeble that instead of fighting, they offered to serve the snake. Are you with me? Because you see, folks, when you get away from God, you become feeble. You lose your courage, you lose your boldness, you lose your strength, you lose your fortitude, you lose, you lose the, the strength of character that you had when you walked with God, when you get away from God. It's a dangerous thing. See, you're only as strong as your last time with God. And so by the time Nahash approached them, they were vulnerable. They were very vulnerable. And he took advantage of their vulnerability. And let me tell you, the devil always does that. The devil takes advantage of your vulnerability and mine. When he sees a vulnerable place, a weakness where we are compromising with the flesh, he uses that, he capitalizes on it, he swoops in to, to take advantage of our vulnerability because he doesn't fight fair. Nahash is a type of Satan. We see that Nahash did not fight fair. He was wicked, he was evil, he was sinister, he was a schemer. And the devil's the same way. He's just a picture, an Old Testament picture of the devil. The devil takes advantage of us. And instead of fighting back, which is what somebody strong in their spirit man would do, Jabesh Gilead says, make a covenant with us. What are you talking about, Jabesh Gilead? Are you crazy? You're going to make a covenant with the snake? 
You're going to make a covenant with the Ammonites? And they said, we'll serve you. That shows me. All the fight was gone. All their fight was gone. Church, can I tell you something? When you're right with God, walking with God, full of the Holy Spirit of God, you never give up the fight. You never give up the fight. No, you stay with the fight. You keep on fighting. You stay. Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. Meaning I never gave up. I never put up the white flag. I never walked away. I never fainted. I never quit. I never gave it up. I walked with God to the very end and fought the good fight until the time came for God to take me home. But see, when you get away from God, you lose your fight. That's one thing that we see here with Jabesh Gilead. They lost their fight. They didn't have it anymore. Uh, They didn't even care about being free. They were willing to be slaves. We see this with individuals. We see this with churches. We see this with towns and cities. And guess what? We see this with nations. When a nation walks away from God, that nation becomes weakened. It becomes compromised, and it loses its fight. When God's people fell into compromise like this, in the Old Testament, you see that God typically moved an enemy nation against them. It was one of the ways God used uh, to wake them up out of their stupor. Uh, when When they were walking with God, they had peace. It says that Solomon had total peace, the entirety of his reign, because he was pleasing God until he got old and foreign women stole his heart away. But until then, and up to then, he walked with God and there was no battle. Nobody came against Israel all the days of Solomon. But when they departed from God, God used enemy nations to come against them. And now in this instance, it's it's Nahash the snake, the king of the Ammonites. And he's come against Jabesh Gilead, backslidden from God. And like something out of Friday the 13th, we see Nahash threatening to gouge out their right eyes. Now, why did he want to do this terrible thing to, to the men of Jabesh Gilead? What was, what was he up to? I'm going to tell you what it was about. Because in battle, the left eye was generally covered up by a shield. They would hold up these body-long shields. They would hold them up to fend off the arrows and the spears and the rocks uh, uh, slung at them by the enemy. They would hold up the shield, and the shield would cover their left eye because their whole body needed to be covered. But it was the right eye that they saw the enemy with, and it was the right eye that they aimed with, and it was the right eye they battled with. So he wanted their right eye taken out so they would be ruined for battle. The right eye, the slingers and the archers, by having their right eyes thrust out, would be unable to take aim and fight back. In other words, he wanted to ruin, he wanted to turn Jabesh Gilead into a tribe that could no longer fight, no longer battle, no longer war, no longer win, no longer subdue them, no longer give them a problem. So they wanted their right eye. They didn't want the left eye because they were going to use them for slavery, so they wanted them to still be able to see, but the right eye was the eye of war, the eye for battle, the eye to uh, to fight with. Any man in here, any woman in here, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you've got a firearm, particularly a rifle, you know you've got to have that right eye to look through the scope and see and take aim. Now, I want us to see today something. 
Remember when Paul said in Corinthians, he said, God has given us these Old Testament stories, these true stories, these narrations of what really happened, these narratives, so that we would get New Testament truth from them, learn from them, so we wouldn't make the same mistakes. So what is the the lesson here? Well, you carry this over into the New Testament, and we also have a right eye. We have a right eye of battle, a spiritual right eye. This is a metaphor, it's an example, it's an illustration. I want us to see today that Nahash, the snake, as I've already said, is a type of Satan, and the devil is never happy just to dominate somebody like Jabesh Gilead offered to allow him to do. But he wants to gouge out the right eye, especially of believers. He wants our spiritual right eye. I'm going somewhere with this. Please get this. The first reason, let me tell you why he wants our right eye and what I mean. Let me tell you what it is. He wants to put out our spiritual right eye because he wants to ruin our ability to fight the good fight. He wants to ruin our ability to do it. He doesn't want us to be able to stand up as a church and do damage to the kingdom of Satan. In case you don't know, the battle lines have been drawn. The battle is afoot. The the war is red hot. And it's time for every Christian that names the name of Christ to get up and stand and stand together and fight the forces of the enemy. But to do that, we've got to have a really healthy right eye. That is, we've got to have a really healthy spiritual life. The devil wants to disarm our ability to effectively engage in spiritual warfare, to take aim and hit the target. Remember when Paul said, I'm not fighting in vain. I'm not like somebody beating the air. I know who my enemy is. I know what the target is. I know what I'm after. I know who I'm to bring down. I know why I'm here. I'm not just beating the air, thrashing at anything and everything. I know the target. And the target is I'm out to get the souls of men and whatever I've got to do to win the souls of men and build the body of Christ into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's my target. I'm not beating the air. I know what I'm after. I know what I'm going for. The devil uses several tactics to accomplish putting out, as it were, our right eye. One, he might want you to believe that you're damaged goods and not worthy to approach God. So you give up. Well, Pastor Jeff, I'd be in the battle. I'd really be involved in church work, but man, I am so damaged. I, you know, I, I got hit here and hit there, and sometimes it's all I can do to crawl out of bed, and so, so I might as well just give up. No, let me tell you something. The righteous man falls seven times, but gets up again. Gets up again. I want you to say with me, I'm going to get up again. Not by might. Not by power, but by the Spirit of the living God. The the one who resurrected from the dead lives in me. Jesus never did preach a good funeral. He always raised them from the dead, and he's going to raise you up again. Because the righteous fall seven times, but they get up again. But the devil's out for your right eye and mine. So he he may beat you down by your failures. Reminding you of all the times you've messed up. And he wants you saying to yourself, I don't deserve God's best because of all my failures. So I don't deserve to be in the heat of the battle. I don't deserve to be out on the battlefield. I don't deserve to be in church. I don't deserve God's best because of all my failures. 
Let me ask you something. Are your failures greater than the blood of the Lamb? No, they're not. No, listen. Failure is never fatal or final unless you quit. Can I say that again? Failure is never fatal or final unless you quit. Listen, everybody in here has failed. Don't put a halo over your head. I know everybody in here has failed. We've all messed up somewhere along the way. But here we are in church. Here we are worshiping God. Here we are praising his name. Here we are studying his word. Even though we failed, it was not fatal or final because the one who got up from the dead got you up again. So here you are. Or the enemy wants you distracted and content. This is one way he blinds the right eye of believers. He wants you distracted and content with the things of the world like Jabesh Gilead was. They had made covenants with idols. They were backslidden. They were content with the things of the world. Uh, The enemy may even try blinding you through self-satisfaction where you say, I don't need to go further in spiritual things. I, I'm there. I'm, I'm good. I don't really need to advance. I'm self-satisfied. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, the final church that Jesus mentions, the church at Laodicea, was very self-satisfied? Listen to what they said. They, they, they said this, you say you are rich and have need of nothing. Jesus is talking to them. You say you are rich and have need of nothing. What that says is they were totally self-satisfied. You say you are rich and have need of nothing. You got it going on, man. You're good. You don't need anything. You don't need to grow spiritually. You are rich and have need of nothing. That was their attitude. That was their mentality. That was their mindset. That's where they had landed. And so they weren't affecting the culture around them because they were very self-satisfied. I'm rich and I don't have need of anything. But Jesus said, let me tell you the truth. You are miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Now listen to what Dr. Jesus told them to do. My advice to you is to get medicine from me to heal your eyes. To heal what? Your eyes. To heal what? Well, the right eye. And give you back your sight. Jesus said, you've got a sight problem. You're thinking that you are, you've got it all going on and don't need anything, but I'm telling you, you need everything. You need more of God. You need more of the Word. You need more of prayer. You need more of the Spirit. You need more of the things of God. You should never be self-satisfied. I want more. I want more. I want more and more and more of Him. If you want more of Jesus, say amen. Amen. Yes. See, they were smugly self-satisfied, but Jesus walked, uh, knocked them right off their horse and said, no, don't let your right eye be blinded by smug self-satisfaction. No, we need Jesus and we need him every day, every morning, every noon, every night. In the morning, we say, good morning, Jesus. And at night, we say, good night, Jesus. And in between, we say, I need you, Jesus. A second reason Nahash wanted to put out their right eye is because the right eye represented vision and purpose. Do you know the word Ammonite is from the Hebrew word amam, which means to dim and to darken. Satan wants to dim your spiritual passion and darken your spiritual vision. Listen carefully to me. That's what Satan does to believers. You're saved. He can't keep you from heaven but he can try to derail you on earth and, and, and cause where, where you don't fulfill God's plan. And so, so 
even the word Ammonite, to dim and to darken. Nahash, king of the Ammonites, wanted to dim and darken their vision. Satan, our enemy, wants to dim and darken our vision. He wants our spiritual passion. He wants it to go away. He wants us, he doesn't want us waking up full of zeal for the things of God, zeal to seek the Lord of hosts. He doesn't want us filled with spiritual vision. I'm so excited about what God is going to do. No, he wants to dim and darken our vision. And the Bible says this is exactly what the devil does. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded. Everybody say blinded. That's what he does. Blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see. Unable to see. They're unable to see. Why are they unable to see? Because the devil has blinded their eyes. And what are they unable to see? The glorious light of the good news. But for the already saved... The enemy wants to remove your spiritual passion and vision. See, some of you used to be so full of zeal. Some of you watching right now who aren't in church today, some, some justified reasons, some you've kind of kicked back a little bit. But let me tell you, there was a time you were there every time the doors opened. There was a time you were at every prayer meeting. There was a time you could not wait to tell somebody else about Jesus. And now you're struggling just to get into the word. What has happened? The enemy has gone after your right eye. to dim and darken your vision and your passion. No, folks, I, I, I wanna, I'm not going to burn out. I want to burn on. I don't want to burn out. I want to burn on. I want to be a torch for Jesus. So that I don't want to barely make it over the finish line. I want to run through it and break the tape. I want to be full of the fire of God. What about you? Come on, church. Come on, church. Am I talking to Christians today? I believe the enemy has used COVID to do this to many of God's saints who are no longer in church, who are drifting spiritually and have lost their fire and lost their zeal and lost their first love. They've lost their traction through distraction. They're no longer on track because they've been sidetracked by an attack on their right eye. And God wants us to get it back. Saints, it's time for the church to get the right eye back. To get the right eye back. We need to get the right eye back. When we wake up, we're full of zeal. We can't wait to see what God is going to do. We're in prayer. We're in the word. We're full of the Holy Spirit of God. We're not afraid of the devil. We're not afraid of the opinion of people. We're ready to stand up and speak up and not back down and not give up and not walk away. We're ready for the fight. I want us to focus, as we come to the close, on Saul's reaction before Saul went crazy, when he was right. Look at his reaction. The story climaxes with his response. It says, when he heard what the enemy was wanting to do to one of Israel's tribes, the Spirit of God fell on Saul. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. And look what it says next. And he burned with anger. He burned with anger. Now the the Lord is directly connecting the Spirit of God falling upon him to his burning with anger. Let me tell you something about anger. Uh, There is a wrong kind of anger that is fleshly. But there is also a righteous kind of anger that rises up against the wicked activity of Satan. 
when you get righteously angry. I don't know about you, but, but I've lately been almost living righteously angry at what the enemy is doing to my loved ones and to my country. I am angry about what is happening to my country. I am angry that children are being taught perverse things in schools. I am angry that our nation has doubled down on abortion because I believe it's a sin against God. I am angry that our nation has walked away from God. Now, I'm not talking about where I'm going to go do something nutty. I'm saying I have a righteous anger at what Satan is trying to do to our land. I'm angry about it. I'm angry about all the loved ones I have that have been attacked by COVID and different things, discouragement and whatever. I'm angry over the activity of the enemy. What about you? The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger, righteous anger. Jesus expressed this kind of righteous anger when he made the whip out of cords and went into the temple and drove them out. It says he was angry, but it was righteous anger because Jesus never sinned. The church, folks, has been on the defense too long. It's time for us to get on the offense. Jesus did not envision us being backed into a corner by the devil. He envisioned the church storming the gates of hell, and the gates of hell would not prevail against a storming church. The church has been anointed and appointed to storm the gates of hell, not give in to hell. Not make a covenant with Nahash, the snake, but to stand against the snake, the devil. Some of you are going, well, Harold, you brought me to a place where he's kind of worked up. Let me tell you something, Harold, you needed this. Yeah. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? The one who lives in you is greater than he that is in the world. Here's where our strength is. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to those who believe. The Jew first and then the Gentile. That's all of us, most of us. Holy outrage over the damage created by hell has often moved the church to action. Saul expressed the outrage. Here's what Saul was essentially saying. This can't be allowed to happen. This can't be allowed to happen. This must stop. Do you feel that about the things happening in America? In schools? Where our children are being corrupted? In the workplace? Where you can't even mention the name of Christ? In the culture? Where you can't even go out there and mention the gospel? without people getting angry and even threatening you? No, we've got to get to the place where we say, this can't be allowed to happen. This must stop. We're not going to sit back. We're not going to bend, bow, break, or back down. The Apostle James said, listen, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. The word resist is anthistemi. It's a Greek word meaning to hold your ground by taking a complete stand against. A 180 degree contrary position. That's what resist means. You're not just sitting there passively. Oh no, I resist this. 
in the name of Jesus. The word flee is fugo, and it means to run away as if terrified. It says if we resist the devil, he will run as if he's terrified. I'm tired of terrorism. I'd rather, listen, it's time to terrorize hell. Jeff, you're getting a little bit extreme here. No, no, no. Look, you're going to tell me the early church didn't terrorize hell? They were known as those that turned the world upside down. The Bible says when Saul heard the news, now I'm going to close. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. He chopped up an oxen into pieces. The ox represented their future prosperity, their future blessing. Their future was represented in that ox. Here's what Saul was saying. Join me in the fight or the darkness will destroy your future. Join me in this fight or the darkness is going to destroy your future. Folks, I'm going to tell you something straight up today. Things have gotten to the place in America that if we don't get in the fight, it's going to destroy our future, our freedoms, our liberties. I'm not going to just sit back and let it happen. I want to charge the gates of hell with the gospel, with the word of God, with the power of God, with the name of Jesus, with the love of God. I'm hearing music. Oh! That freaked me out, y'all. I thought I was having a vision from heaven because I looked around and I thought, is God amening me? He snuck up on me. I was about to have everybody come to the altar. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, let me tell you what I'm doing today. I'm giving everybody a piece of oxen. And the message of that oxen, that's this message. I'm saying, get in the fight so your future is not destroyed. Put on Jesus. Put on the Holy Spirit. Put on love. Put on strength. The Bible says they went out under Saul's leadership and totally defeated the Ammonites totally and they were delivered from humiliating slavery stand together would you say with me if God is for us who can be against us let me read this who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble no hardship persecution famine nakedness danger sword no in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So in closing, you're getting a piece of oxen today. And that oxen says, this message, get involved. Quit being on the sidelines. You're not called to the bleachers. You're called to get on the field. You're called to carry the ball. You're called to gain some yardage for the kingdom of God. Some of you are called to make touchdowns routinely. It's time to get involved. Amen.
So let's lift our hands to the Lord. I want you to say with me, the fight is fixed. The fight is fixed. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated Satan and took from him the keys to death, hell, and the grave. So that from then on, when God's people get involved in a fight, the fight is fixed. Jesus has already won. You may lose a battle, but you haven't lost the war because the war has already been won. The fight is fixed. You're going to win. Amen? And even if you don't win the battle, you're going to win the war. He's going to get you on your feet again. The fight is fixed. Amen. Come on, everybody. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Lift your hands to Jesus. Father, we just thank you today for your blessing. Lord, how we need to have the right eye healed. I want everybody to say with me, Lord, if my right eye has been darkened or dimmed, heal it. Restore me to my first love, to zeal, to the vision I had for the kingdom of God and what he's called me to do. Restore me. Give me 20-20 vision in my right eye that I would battle successfully and advance the kingdom of God. Now lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, for healing me, for touching my eye, for touching my eye, for touching my eye. Thank you for healing me, Lord. If you needed this today, give the Lord a wave offering. Just give him a wave offering. You say, Lord, I just thank you. I needed this today. I needed this today. And I hope the whole church in the United States of America will quit being COVID-focused and will get Jesus-focused. I'm tired of COVID. I'm sick to death of it. I don't want it anymore. I want to focus on Jesus. And I know COVID's real. We pray for people fighting it. I do not downplay it. It's real, but it's not going to be my focus. It's not going to control my life. It's not going to put out my right eye. It is not going to dim and darken my vision. I'm not going to be distracted. Amen. Bow with me for one moment of prayer. Maybe you're here today and say, Jeff, I don't know if I know Jesus. I've heard this message. I've heard you talk about the right eye. I don't know Jeff, if I've ever really, really given my heart to Jesus, you can do it today. You can do it right now. I'm going to say a simple prayer of repentance and placing faith in him. Listen carefully to me. The minute you place faith in Jesus and ask him to forgive you your sins, he will come into your heart and he will do a miracle in your life. He'll give you a brand new nature. So I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to say it with me. If you need this, and if you need it, you know you do. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. And on the cross, you bled for my sins. Forgive me my sins. And come into my heart. 
as Savior and Lord. I turn to you today in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed. If you can say, Jeff, I prayed that with you. Would you lift your hand up real quick and let me see you? Lift it up. I see you and you. Many people. Many people. Those of you with your hands raised, look at me. Look at me if your hand is raised. In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss. After just a couple of announcements, I'm going to dismiss. Now, I want you to come down here and say, Jeff, I prayed with you. There's something very important I want to give to you and um, that I want you to read when you leave. And you have just prayed the most important, crucial prayer of your entire life. And I rejoice with you. And so I want you to come down and say, Jeff, I pray. Don't leave. Come down here because, there, because I need to pray with you again. And there's something I want to send you out with, okay? Can we thank the Lord for those that prayed? Amen. Amen.